everybody and welcome to another episode of Relative Pitch. It's great to see you all and it's wonderful to have the amazing, wonderful Ashley Killen with us this morning. Thanks so much for having me. Um, it is great to see you and we're just like, just give us a brief um, how you got to where you are, some important life things, and then we'll just get kicked off right after that. Yeah, so I am a trumpet player turned kind of arts administrator. Um, I have my bachelor's in music ed, master's in trumpet performance. I've kind of moved around the country a lot and now I am based um, just outside DC on the Maryland side. Um, and as of the start of this year, I am full-time self-employed by me, uh, working with some really cool composers and performers and educators. Yeah. Nice, nice. Um, so I think some of our audience will know you from Diversify the Stand and your catalog that you compiled. Why I think you're in your master's mm -hmm. um, of um, what was the catalog? What was it named? I have it pulled up. Give me two seconds. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, the repertoire catalog. It's a catalog of trumpet and brass works by gender marginalized people and or black indigenous and persons of color. And this was a great catalog for me. And it seemed like some of the ITG people used it when I saw Ulysses K. Trumba on the solo thing a couple of years back. So you want to talk about a little bit of that and how you did get to stumble upon that in your master's? Yeah. So while I was at UNM, um, oh, for anyone that may not know, the University of New Mexico, I oh, was, oh. yeah, I was getting, so master's in trumpet performance, I got like halfway through my degree and I was like, I don't actually like, want to sit in a practice room and play Petrushka. Um, like this does not bring me joy. Uh, so it was kind of like, a little crisis because no one had ever talked to me about like what else can you do for a career in music and i took a an optional musicology course called um women it was just like uh, female voices and composition yeah it was dr minuti's class and it was um amazing like the final project of that class was to build a recital for our instrument and write like program notes on it and it was so cute because i got to go talk to that class this semester and like everything i've done has stemmed from her and that class and so i like did my research i started contacting composers and like on one hand i was so excited because i'm like there are so many great pieces out there um and my master's recital was that final project it was it was called more than just dead white guys a graduate trumpet recital and it featured all living women composers and my first commission that i'd ever done um and like it was so exciting but it was also really infuriating because i'm like how have i gone at that time it was like 22 years without knowing i don't know i'd always been like handed a trumpet solo and been like play this um i never knew that i was allowed to question things and so i just started i was like it obviously can't be just me at all. And so I just started compiling and documenting and building a Google spreadsheet. Um, and I know now now there's a lot of really great resources out there. Um, at the time, there there was one PDF for trumpet. And so I'm like, great, I obviously like, this is not the be all end all. But you know, it's I made sure I really wanted composers to consent to being included in this, they know that they're included in any pieces that they want added, like, it is just a single person that cares a lot. Um, and I just want to help other educators. And that's kind of how that all launched. Um, and I still use it anytime people ask me like, oh, can I have any recommendations for recital rep? Like, I pull up my spreadsheet because like, it's just a, you know, it it is a spreadsheet. It is just a bunch of lines of data. Um, 
which is why it's so important for any performers and educators to go beyond and you know make sure that they're learning about the person behind that line in data and they're learning about the piece itself and the composer itself um, but it's at least a space that just combines a whole lot of information really quickly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i i really enjoyed um that that class really kind of sparked your your um i guess your your questioning of like first of all I can question what I want to play because I think, especially in this classical music world, we are we are just told what to do since sixth grade when we start our instruments. We can't choose music. Music is chose for us. And then we go on and we just deal with it and we find a story that kind of resonates with us. But it's like, well, most of the music that story does not relate to me whatsoever. So instead of, you know, coming up with this fake story, I can find a piece that actually resonates with me and identify with some part of who I am. So I, I'm, I really loved hearing that she's like, I can start, I can question this now and I can find music of my own. Now, how hard was that, you know, taking that leap of faith of like, okay, let's see what's really out there. I, I really loved it because I I'd always loved research. Um, and now it was like research and getting to build these relationships with living people. Um, it was very like imposter syndrome at first because I was like, oh my gosh, like you are this at the time, you know, everyone has, and maybe not everyone, but at least at the time for me, it was very much like composer with this like entity, this like being. And I was just like this lowly grad student that wanted to play music. So I was terrified to reach out to anyone. Um, and even like but when I was asking for consent to make this resource, it was very much like, you are the coolest person on the planet and I love everything you do and everything you're about. Like, please, can I share this with the world? Um, and now I've kind of gotten over that imposter syndrome enough to know that like, okay, composers are just human beings that want their music played. Um, and it's a lot easier to make that connection. But I've talked with a lot of students who feel the same way of like, I am a student, I can't reach out to people. Um, And I felt this way going to the International Women's Brass Conference and these different conferences, it's always that fear of like starting that networking and you realize like everyone is just winging it. And we're all, most of the time, everyone is just a kind person that's happy to like have, you know, connect in person. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. I will piggyback off of this because that's where I first met Ashley was at this past year's IWBC. And I was just like, She's not a guy. Oh my God, is he a And it was just like, I will say this, and I've been like ITG, we all been to all these conferences. IWBC is one of the most welcoming conferences ever, period. Point blank. Like, you just feel like a base level of like, they want you there. And they, even then, the competitions, they're like, I want you to succeed. I want you to, they want everybody to succeed. It was great, especially with the CBC being like their debut mm-hmm. last year, the Chromatic Brass Collective for everybody out there, which is you should go check them out on Instagram. It's great. But I would say like IWBC is one of those conferences where it's like they want you there and it's very cool. But that's where I met Ashley and that's where I met like a bunch of other people. And I was like, oh, this is nice. I can talk to people now. This yeah, is it- cool. It was such a good space. And like, I went to the IWBC conference in 2019. And even just because that was right after I graduated, it was a totally different vibe for me because I was in that state of like, everyone is so 
big and famous, like I could not waste their time. Like I swear about like shit my pants when I went to go talk to Susan Slaughter and I was like, you are like a goddess of, and she's just this nice older lady that was just like happy to chat. And so going into this past conference and even like, like I'll get to meet you all at Midwest mm-hmm. uh, and these like, you know, educator conferences and in different spaces. Now I'm like, okay, I can hold my space and like worst case, someone just like walks away, but it just feels more. And maybe that, you know, partly stems from the pandemic on like all of us finding out that like, oh my gosh, we can connect online and having all these like virtual relationships and friendships and things. Um, it felt very much like I'm going to see all of my friends and we can cut out the like small talk because I've already been following you online for years. And like, I know everything about you in your life. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I I really want to take a step back to when we were talking about when you were first uh, starting, you know, your spreadsheet and you mentioned how, um, you know, at first you just glance at it and it's, it's data, right. And Mm -hmm. it's just something that's in your face of like, this is what this is, but I actually, that sparks this conversation about accessibility, especially around finding like diverse composers because there were the big argument, the big like thing before, especially prior to 2020 was this idea that it was hard to Mm -hmm. find music written by, you know, women, POC, LGBTQ composers. And so I think it actually was really important and significant that this data was just laid out for people to be able to see and to, you know, to see that, oh, it is easy for me to just click Mm -hmm. this link and to buy and purchase the score rather than having to do my own research. And I think that was I think that is a really significant aspect of this initiative and the many initiatives that have come from it. Yeah, and I think it's important, and I I talked with people about this, knowing not only, you know, having the access to the data, but knowing it was like gone about in the right way. I know a lot of, um, especially early on, um, I had a lot of composers who, when I reached out, they really appreciated me just asking. Um, Cause I've had a lot of friends who find their names on those resources and like, it's slightly, I mean, it's really vulnerable to have your information out, but it's really uncomfortable when you're like, how did you get that? How did you, I didn't know about this. Like how, how is that? So knowing, and from anyone wanting to do research like this too, um, knowing you know, what information are you collecting? Why do you have it protected, especially now, like now more than ever with the amount of laws and bills that are trying to be passed to limit um, just human rights for so many, um, making sure that like, you know, anytime too, knowing how composers want to be represented. And that's the big thing that with Diversify the Stand that we've always made sure on anyone we work with, um, all of the language is very much, how do you want to be seen and how can we, really represent you because even though like you know it's our collection of solos like it is your work um it is your your face on this it is you um like i don't want to change up your wording change how how anyone sees you because that's so important um because some people do want you know uh their their disability their their background their race to be at the forefront because that is who they are and that is what their music um, focuses and centers around, but not everyone wants, you know, their identity to be at the forefront and they want to be known, you know, for other things, or, you know, I want you to recognize and, and like engage with my music, not just because I am a type of person. Mm-hmm. That all makes sense. It does. It does, because it, I think a lot, especially what we're seeing now post 2020 again, which is like the 
the negatives, right, of DEI. And we mm-hmm. always we always talk about the negatives um, on the podcast, this podcast, as well as the positives. But like, there are people now who it, it is a box to check on every mm-hmm. performance they do. Like, do I have a woman composer, or do I have an LGBTQ composer? Do I have, you know, like a composer with disabilities? Do I have like a BIPOC composer? Like, it instead of it being like a meaningful approach to like why they want to play this music and why they want to play music by this person or this community. It's instead something like, well, let me make sure like I don't get caught. I hit the numbers. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So building, a, building a post-COVID recital. It's like, I need my one composer here, my one composer here, great. And then let me throw on the music that I like, hide in home. I'm like, bro, we, we have heard Hummel since when it was written we are good i'm telling you good unless you got an orchestra behind you we're good see i wouldn't even nah there's so many good like concerti out there there's so much that's the thing now i'm like life is too short and like i do not get enough performance opportunities why would i waste my energy practicing to play a piece that has been played way better than me hundreds and thousands of times like I don't know you know it, and I talk to students so often about like make sure that the music you're playing resonates with you make sure that you care about that because whether or not like we're gonna all screw up notes in recitals mm-hmm. you know might as well care about your what you're trying to portray and get across to the audience than just like I have to play this like you will never I think the worst piece ever written for trumpet is concert etude get a key um and anytime I say that in workshops people are like ah, ha, ha, ha. but I'm like it's true. I think it's I think it's poorly written. I think it's one of like the early pieces that they give students to practice double tonguing. And then you get all of these like really poor renditions of it because students don't know how to double tongue, but they're like, I'm going to learn how to do it in here. Like there's just, you know, when we talk about accessibility, it's also about like accessibility of the level. And that's why we started Diversify the Stand because like there's nothing out there for young players. So they play hard stuff and then they sound really bad on it. Um, and yeah, so lots of thoughts there, but like, yeah, I am not going to waste my time on music that I am not personally invested in. Yes, yes, yes. Um, right now I'm in my master's um, for conducting. And um, as I look back on every piece that I did this entire year has been a representation of me as a Black person in this field, which is very not represented whatsoever, especially in the wind band field. So every piece that I've kind of done has either been um, a Black composer piece or a piece that is from a minority. So I'm like, yes, that is absolutely what I want to do. Um, And, you know, a lot of people would probably look at that and like, why aren't you trying to do, you know, the Mozarts or, you know, the Hindemiths or this and that? I'm like, well, uh, that's been played thousands of times by, you know, better conductors, better ensemble players, better all this. And truly, I'm sick of hearing it. I'm bored. Like, and if it's on the the uh, program, I'm like, uh, I already know what this is going to sound like. Like, uh, and that's the thing with, you know, old music is how many times can you reinvent the wheel? Oh, we've heard it. Thousands of times, you really can't do anything that much different. So why not put your stamp on a piece by somebody who's like, please play my music. Please get me out there. You could literally do so much different things with music that was just written. And then you could even call up the composer and say, hey, I was thinking about this. 
what are your thoughts? What were you thinking about it? And then a lot of the composers that I've reached out to are like, go for it. Like, I didn't even think about it that way. You know, so now it's a collaborative experience. Why not go? To me, that is the way more enriching route than, say, going to do, you know, the box Beethoven's and Mozart's. But that, you know, that's just me. That's just me. And to piggyback off of that and what Ashley and I were just talking about with the standard repertoire, if you do something different, you will be scrutinized for it. Like if you do this, if you do the first move, if you do Lincolnshire Posey any different than Frederick Fennell did, how fucking dare you? <laughs> how fucking dare you? Who do you think you are? Or if you do Hindemith different than like one of the most prominent recordings is uh, what's his face? H. Bob on his retirement concert. Like if you do any of these pieces or you do the Haydn different than Winton or the Hummel different than Tina. It's like, if you do anything different, what? Li- who told you you could do that? Who gave yeah. you the license to do that? Yeah. And just like, also, if you're out here and you're doing competitions, hint, hint, wink, wink, do something people don't know so you can advance. Nobody <laughs> knows these pieces and they will compare you. Like, I think this year there was like, I mean, every single year, every single year, there's probably... 35 Haydn's, 35 Hummels, 35 Bumas. And Artunian. Like, the Artunian. Yeah. I'm literally playing that right now. I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm playing that the day after this gets released next Wednesday to then write a paper about how to perform music you don't like. <laughs> because I truly do not like this piece, but I truly feel like I should know it to teach it because some of my students want to play it. So I'm like, I'm going to perform it once, then I'm going to put it away forever. Like, ever. Oh, Someone yeah. comes, can you play our tuning with the, uh, for the orchestra? You know, I got this other piece right here. And it's actually easier for y'all. Mm-hmm. And it's like better for me. But I was going to say, uh, Ashley, I don't know if you noticed this. Like, I bought like a couple of, ver- I bought a couple of copies of Winds of Change. Mm-hmm. And y'all, there's this piece called Leper's Pursuit. And it is like crap. It is like crack with middle schoolers. They are dying for it. And I don't like they're the it opens in the trumpet part with just four repeated A's. And you would think that is like the end all be all with them. When when Marcus sent that piece, so it's I'll I'll make him listen to the episode. Um, but we so four winds of change, if if people don't know, right now it's a there's versions for trumpet and trombone, and then there's going to be versions in the next couple of months for horn and euphonium. Um and we're starting to expand as we get funding to do so. Um, but it's a progressive book where it starts with like the first couple of pieces I can use for my like sixth grade students that have been playing trumpet for like two months and they can feel like empowered and like I'm playing this cool piece. Um, and then it works your way up as as the student advances, they can get farther in the book. And so it's really cool. Um, but when Marcus sent the draft for Leopard's Pursuit, it is it is a bop. You're just like jamming and like, it's so cute because we get like, there we have, um, what's it called? Click tracks to play with mm-hmm. piano accompaniment. So like students can feel like, okay, I can know how the piano, piano sounds. So like you can learn that before you go into a competition or solo ensemble or whatnot. Um, but it's just so fun. And yeah, the like, the melody is not difficult. It's within an octave for the whole solo. Yeah. Um, but it just, it, it's played mm-hmm. in a way that like, 
young students and not even young young as in like they haven't been playing the instrument long i had my like adult students play leopard's pursuit and they were like i dig this and i was like yeah because we're not just like sitting here playing arbins like it's yeah. it's fun music it sounds like like it sounds like movie music yeah. and you've got little like his like writing throughout the piece is like the you know, you're tracking play. someone hunting like get them and so like you can talk with it's all these teachable moments and like both the educator and myself and carrie who who i started dts with um you know we're all about like getting these teachable moments for students it shouldn't be like okay we have to play this because we have to we have to play this because it's a standard it's okay we've got this piece you're a leopard like let's think about how that would act like how would you act what would you feel how would this be how can that translate into our instrument and then let's have a good time because isn't that what it's all about facts i was talking to somebody about that piece and we both agreed that it was like the adult version of that piece to me right now is like centennial horizon for adults because they just eat it up and we're like this is the middle school centennial horizon like every because it's that like it's that like pop based and that like when i was student teaching i had to make these lesson plans for like full band right and i'm bringing in film scores i'm bringing in pop music they're listening to i'm asking the students what they listen to because mm -hmm. i remember like when i was back in new mexico i was teaching at a lot of like middle and high schools at the time and like these students are like band is so boring and when you ask them why they're like well we gotta like play out of this book and like the most fun things for them was like oh we're playing this like harry potter medley like we're playing this i just talked to an orchestra last week about how like their their um like classic series was so has been so poorly attended which like yes much of it is like the pandemic and trying to rebuild from that but they're like we don't have this issue with like the with the you know have bring the movie film score or not even like have the movie like we don't, we don't have that issue i'm like yeah because your audience is so like you're boxing your audience in and when we actually think about what do people listen to right now how can we bring that in and so then it's not just boring band music and boring orchestra music it's let's start to expand into these different areas and influence mm -hmm. um and how can we, you know, how, how can we start to expand how we think of music? Because I have so many people too think of modern music as bad because it's modern and it's new. Mm -hmm. No, it's just music that's been written recently. Like that's all across the spectrum on what it can look like, what it can sound like. Um, and, you know, if music's all subjective, like we should be able to, you know, place our own opinions on it. And anytime I share new music with, um, any of my students and like have and give workshops where people have to listen to newer works. Um, I'm not going into it saying like, oh, this is this is new. This brings in extended techniques. This is something weird. Like it's not, you know, it's all about the language we use. And it's I, I make it very clear, like, here's who the composer is. Here was what the influence is. If it is something that's more like contemporary that might that isn't as like tonal, um, I try to to give whatever audience I'm talking to, some sort of anchor to listen to. Like, oh, think, try to hear this part. Try to hear this thing. Try to see the relationship between these two instruments because then it's less like, you know, black and white, good or bad, and more, you know, you can form your own opinions around this. Right. No, this is great because all of this, especially with me being in the symphony world, like orchestra world now, um, but also seeing this, you know, early on with like our teachers and what we mm -hmm. saw with their orchestras is like, I think, first of all, too often 
we're trying to tell our say what our audience members will enjoy so instead of like actually experimenting with like newer music that actually they would be like you know i kind of dig this it's like no just keep giving them the Haydn's and you know in messiah and and all this other stuff that they've heard mm-hmm. time and time again because we know someone likes that right so it's like this fear of stepping outside the box and having people not like it but i'm like but you're not thinking about the other side of like playing this new music and people actually loving it and being like oh my gosh this symphony like is a they play this music this there are the types of people who i can go to the symphony and know that oh a new piece is going to be premiered this this uh you know concert cycle and everything Mm -hmm. and um it really like this past week at the the seattle symphony we had about salauche the the uh, south african cellist and composer and one of our it was a co-commission um that was uh, his piece for spirits and it y'all first of all i was like the lord is in this building because the way he was singing i was like there is a spirit in this in the audience that he we were singing he like he it was just so raw and the whole thing is like they didn't have like uh subtitles or anything for us to like i didn't care i didn't need it because someone actually asked after the concert they're like do you think it would have been like a little bit like more accessible if you i was like no this was not something for me to this was a feeling like this experience was a feeling that i didn't even realize how long it had been going but he got us to sing i the, the seattle symphony was singing i was like is that a chorale i hear it was beautiful it was it was so moving and the way that people were absolutely raving, because apparently what happened, it was a th- you know Thursday, Saturday, Sunday show. Mm-hmm. Every day the audience grew because people went out in the community and started talking and saying, you got to go see what the symphony's doing this weekend. Mind you, it was the, the concert was that and Symphony Fantastique. Now listen, Berlioz, love Berlioz, yeah. but they put Abel's piece first. And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm underwhelmed now because it should have been flipped. Like, I, I'm being so serious. If this ever comes out on SSO like, plus like live, I will have to send it because it was so moving and it was so new. And it showed that modern music, new music that literally was composed yesterday, today, tomorrow, doesn't have to be something that everyone, it can be something that touches people and brings in these newer audience members who have never stepped foot you know Mm -hmm. into the hall so i think more than anything we have to stop babying our audiences and actually see them for the adults (laughs) and progressive individuals that they are and allow them to form their own opinions on music but we can't do that if we only expose them to one type of music Mm -hmm. oh and i've heard like orchestras that are like oh well the donors make the decision okay well i'm sorry but like if you what if we just took off all composer names on the programs like and you don't you know then you don't know so many people just expect like okay i have to see beethoven's name on this program I'm I'm sorry, but like, especially to some of these like donors that are getting up there in it, like you're not going to be able to tell the difference. Um, Yeah, so it's very much like, why not? If all of these orchestras are in like a, you know, a financial crisis of like, we're losing audience, we're, we're losing this, we're not, you know, continuing to expand and move forward. Okay, well, maybe we need to do a little self reflection on how can we change? How, because obviously like with the pandemic, we found out that music is so fragile. Um, 
so why not if it's fragile it's also flexible and and can change and can exist and can move forward so why are we not offering those opportunities to so many people instead just like playing beethoven like 100 billion times and continuing to lose audiences Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like that idea that you just said about removing names from the program. Also, what I mean, you could also maybe go a step further. When you go to these Michelin star restaurants, I've been obsessed with Michelin star restaurants recently. I want to go so bad. But then I went to my first one. It was wonderful. Correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes they don't tell you the menu. They just like you're about to get ready. Like and they just give you the courses. Yeah, this place was a very much like. Um, we went to celebrate paying off loans and we went and like, which like, yeah, amazing. Um, but it was, it was one menu and you had like two or three options and it was like a four course sort of thing. And so like my husband and I went, we each chose something different to like try and they were all very small, but it was like, everything was flawless. And it was like, we tried things that like, you know, same thing with, with a concert setting, like I would not have thought of. I would not have thought that like barbecued carrots with cornbread ice cream was going to be a good thing, but then they brought it out and that was like, okay, this actually, how does this work? But it, it works. Come out. Oh, good. <laughs> hey, about, you had that in Maryland? Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry, girl. Oh my gosh. Y'all come out here and like, I will take you there. It was, it was. Don't, I don't know what Michael, first of all, you would not disrespect Maryland like that. That's what you. I, not do because honestly, the Maryland has some good food. Oh, okay. is they a good crab? Is that the crab? crab? Like it crab. food and like the DMV area in general is just delicious. So okay, put some respects on Maryland. I, no, I was just surprised. I'm sorry. I like after living in Michigan for a couple. Of, I know Michigan is just different. Oh, I'm from there. Yeah, it's but like everything above you know, white people food. White <laughs> girl. I was like, does South exist? I was like, do, do y'all exist? Uh, the, the Midwest, they're good at they're good at salt. Mm. You know, Ooh. anything outside of salt. Even the even the places, I was like, girl, I was like, can I please have your salt shaker? And if you got back there, give me some of that seasoned salt. You know, that got everything in it. Just give it to me. But no, um, everything above Tennessee. I'm like, when I leave the South, I'm like, I'm very picky about where I eat. Because I'm like, the South, I know about a lot of places you're going to get some good cooking. Even if it looks like a dump, that's even better. Like when their supply closet doubles as their bathroom, doubles as their like everything. That's how you know it's about to be good. Don't, well, don't come out here. Come out here. I got some good places. I got some okay. good places out here. Well, um, I mean, that's like, I think, and that goes for music as well, is I, expectations. I'm, me and Michael, we were talking about this, but we were joking. I think a lot of people like, put their expectations so high. Like, we we set expectations for our donors. We're like, oh, they only want to hear this. No, a difference. Majority of the donors weren't even musicians in the yeah. first place. So they really don't know what they're listening to. They happen to know names mm-hmm. because your Beethoven's, your Mozart's, your Bach's, that's just, you know mm-hmm. those things since you're in like elementary. So yeah. it's the one thing that is always bringing them. So why are we having this high expectation for people that don't know exactly what we're doing? Why not expose them to something new? But also we're always complaining and, and I use complaining for for real 
that our audiences are are dwindling over time. Okay, so why are we still playing the same music then? Because now our audiences are the millennials, the Gen Zs. Mm-hmm. They're not buying into the the classical genre music, and that's because it is so distant and and on purpose distant. Have you ever heard um, the older generation in our field talk about new music? The way they talk about new music, it's like, how dare you? How dare we play new music? You are the reason no one's in the audience. It's because Mm -hmm. on purpose, you want to be distant from the popular or the younger generations. So why are we, again, what is this for? Who are we doing this for? Is mm-hmm. is the question at hand? Yep. Oh, exactly. And, and there's so many cool ways that you can bring collaborations in too. Um, like the great thing, the thing I love about the people I work with is that they are like living human beings. Mm-hmm. And like uh, you know, so I, one of you brought up earlier, just like the the potential of calling up, um, you know, calling up the composer, asking questions. I um, I had a residency out in Iowa last October, um, and they asked me to put on a recital and I wasn't comfortable doing a recital for trumpet and piano because it had been like years since I'd played with the pianist. So I was like, is it cool if I do trumpet electronics? And they're like, yeah, go for it, go for it, do whatever you want. I turned it into this like lecture recital because I was like, okay, I can't do like an, an hour, hour and a half of like trumpet electronics on my face. Like I don't have the endurance for that. Um, so like I, I spent a lot of time talking about collaboration and talking about how I programmed these pieces and why I chose these pieces. And I asked each of the composers, like, could you send me like a two minute video, you know, whatever, two minutes or less, introducing yourself and talking about the influence of this piece that you had. And so I had my little, little like Canva presentation on like a big screen behind and they, the like my audience got to go through, not only hear like my side, I talked about like my side of the process after the composers did, but they got to hear from the composers from their own mouths talking about themselves and talking about the piece and why they wrote this and just like how much it meant. And then they got to hear my side of like, this is how I know this composer. This is what we've done together. Like, here's how I've built up these collaborations. And then they get to hear the piece. And most of those pieces, it was the first time, um, I mean, it had been the first time I'd played live since the start of the pandemic. Um, But a couple of them, it was the first time there was a recording of it out there. Um, And it was just so cool. And the amount of people after that were like, I had never seen that done before, like getting the composers involved. I'm like, why not? I could, I didn't have the funds to like, bring all the composers out to be in person, which like, obviously, like having a composer there, like in real life is the most amazing thing. And especially with these like, composer in residence and and just getting them out for premieres and stuff. Sometimes that's not always possible. I do get that with budgets. But making a video that does not cost any dollar bills that costs like a couple minutes of people's times. Um, And it just means so much more than when they can actually like hear from the person who wrote it. Um, because then if you're going to get any background before you hear a piece, it's the whole intent of the piece and not this like preconceived notion of like, oh, well, I don't recognize that name. So I am already not going to like that piece. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, Anthony, what piece did we go see at the symphony a couple of months ago? Roderick Cox conducting. Oh, I remember that. Um, oh, mm. they had a the little. They had a little 
thing outdoor with a whole little I forget the oh, piece. It's by right. Dawson. Yeah, it was William Dawson's uh, Negro Folk Symphony. Yes. First time both of us have heard so it live. Good. I'm pretty sure it's so good. And outside, like in the lobby area, they had the original score. They had like all these things. The first time it was performed in Atlanta, what was on the program. And it was this whole thing, like where he went to school, where he they had, had his baton. Oh it's God. like you can make these older pieces interesting too by bringing in stuff that you can tangibly see yeah. instead of like it's Beethoven, Ludwig Beethoven, and you must like him. But like that concert, they showed out. People were there. People were dressed to the nines. They were there. And then I went the following week because what? Yeah. Well, I was just going to say on to that something that the ASO did that I'm super proud of, and, I, and I'm hoping that others do it as well. They did the Negro Folk Symphony William Dawson, but they also that night specifically, they invited the uh, Divine Nine um, fraternities and sororities. Um, so the AKAs, the Kappas, you know, historically black uh, fraternities and sororities to that concert. So it was full of, you know, the culture that this is representing, which I thought was so amazing. And now you're bringing people who would not have naturally come to the ASO or just a symphony orchestra concert, but now they're in the building and like, oh my gosh, this is not, this is completely different from what I thought. That was very mm -hmm. innovative. That's a, a relatively small thing to do, but it made yeah. such a big difference. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool to see a large or like an, a large orchestra do that because so many times it's these like the groups that are making these changes and continuing to evolve and move forward are these like smaller orchestras because like mm -hmm. if you're going to continue having people in the seats, you have to keep shifting. And so many of these times it's like those large orchestras that are like stuck in their like square ways. But to see that like you have expanded the audience, you've broken down so many of these like barriers on what people think, both from the side of like people that are already classical music goers mm -hmm. and people who hadn't been before. That's like, okay, this like can actually be something so powerful. And if we talk all the time about like, oh, music is powerful, music reaches people. Well, why are we continuing to just reach the same sorts of people? Why are we not reaching society as a whole? Why are we not reaching the, you know, like the demographics of the, the areas we live in? Why is that not the case? Mm -hmm. It's just that false assumption that there are only certain communities who are interested mm -hmm. in the classical arts in general, right? It's this idea that only a certain type of person, it's like, no, that's not actually true because yeah. the thing about, especially, communities of color, we will show up for our people, we will show up for our culture, yes. you know? Yes. So that's what happened when you saw the Met doing all those Terrence Blanchard operas and everything. I already showed up in my bone. Who was there? You know what I mean? Like, so, and that's the thing is like, for me, I've started to come to the realization that they know this, it is just, they want certain people in there. Yep. Yes. Which all comes down to, I mean, you've got all of these, which I know, you know, we could talk for like hours yeah. and hours and days on this, but all of the systemic issues and the gatekeeping and all of this. And I'm just, I mean, as like negative as it is, I'm really hopeful for like, I don't know how old y'all are, but like our-ish generation and like everyone to come on like, I mean, we're so sick of it. And we're realizing fine, if they're not gonna make space, like we're gonna either steamroll our way in one way or another, or we're gonna do something else. Oh yeah. yeah. 
because we don't we don't need you to have a fulfilling life or career or you know to be quote unquote like a good musician like there's so and i mean that comes down to these like pipelines of like what music is and who is a musician and who is an educator and there's just so many things that you can do to to have a fulfilling career whether like music is your full career or not um to just like experience like the arts as a whole yeah. it's yeah. just uh and it was it was even better going to that dawson performance and then the next week, half the hall is empty playing pictures. <laughs> I was like, I went because it was my former teacher and it's a big piece. And I've never heard that piece all the way through. Uh -huh. Only listen to the first 30 seconds. I'm going to be very honest with everybody. Like, and after listening to it, I was like, yeah, I really only like the first 30 seconds. Yeah. Like, there's like some, you're like, okay, I like dig this like minute of it. But yeah. then the rest, it's like, okay like the whole goldberg and schmiel being portrayed uh, uh. yeah that part that part, there's a little problematic things in it but i do like the idea of when they usually play it with the, the actual pictures that influenced it or they i think we we did a at unm last year we did a version of it where we only did we did photos by new mexican um like oh that's cool so like yeah. that i'm I'm, I'm about that type of stuff. I don't know. Well, yeah. but that's also kind of engaging multiple, multiple, you know, avenues of it. Yeah. You you're making this toy. like, mm -hmm. you're what? making like this interdisciplinary experience. Like there's so much more that can be done. And like, sure, some of it takes some time. Like you need time to plan what kind of angle, what area, because there is a bunch of things you could do, but like get a good curator collaborate with some people like pay me like a hundred thousand dollars i can put like a great performance on. we can connect with art we can connect with poetry we can connect with all of these areas like some of these artistic directors i'm sorry y'all deserve to be fired immediately because they're not really artistic i'll take it Rob. i'll take it i love it i'm a dream i'm a dreamer i'm not a doer I can dream big. I just need people under me who could do it. Oh, see, I'm the I'm the doer. Like I'm the dreamer. Give me I'm, a I'm give me a good idea. I will like plan out every every <laughs> detail to make it start to finish and to like launch the project, um, is which is most of what I do now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and um, I do want to talk because you were talking about like how our generation is really doing doing things because we're sick and we're tired. And I, I saw how like you are the founding member of um, the ITG Diversity and Inclusion Committee on the New Works Committee. So like, first of all, you were in our generation and ITG, I, I mean, I don't, I'm pretty sure this organization has been around for years upon decades upon decades. And this is the first of this type of committee and I'm pretty sure it was probably, mm -hmm. you know, in the last, what, five mm -hmm. years that this was created. So how, what, what were you, I mean, I'm yes, congratulations, but you know, how do you feel about it, it making those strides, but being, you know, just in the recent years that this has finally become a thing? Yeah. I, I mean, there's so much for, for anyone that's, uh, from any marginalized background, it is so hard to make any change as, you know, as many of it, like it takes so much energy. Um, and 
that was the type of thing that Carrie and I initially started talking to ITG on and we were like, hey, we're like, we're just two white women here that are like really irritated at the lack of change. And so like, we're not trying to be the be all end all here, but like we want to connect people from all backgrounds doing really great things to make this better because it is a very like cishet white male organization. And um, very much. one of the reasons we also started Diversify the Stand was because like when you get into large like nonprofit organizations, which is also a lot of the struggle for like orchestras and stuff too, is change takes so long to make. Like we spent a year talking with different people on getting um, tromba on the competition piece like it it takes so many conversations to be like this is why these this music has value these pieces have so much value um i mean this year is the first year that the like solo work for itg is by a woman composer mm. in 2023 like uh, uh totem voices Catherine mcmichael um the, for the feature one is lauren bernofsky's trumpet concerto Yes. Um, and that took another year to have these con and, and like, thankfully, like Jason Bergman, the president of ITG was very on board with like, yes, I want newer rep, I want to continue to showcase different works in in this. Um, but one of the reasons we started DTS was like, we're like, these changes aren't happening fast enough. So mm -hmm. we need to make these things happen fast enough. Mm -hmm. And you know, we don't have all the dollar bills in the world, but like, we're going to try to do what we can. Um, and I mean, everything with with ITG um, has been like, Carrie and I are going to be the irritating people to make sure that this doesn't get forgotten. Um, and these voices continue to be heard. And this continues to play a part. And like ITG last year, I think it was held in San Antonio, and they had all of yes. these cool collaborations with um, the mariachi bands, because that's what's down in San Antonio. And it was like, it was all these relationships that were able to build. And again, with like the expansion of the community, that was starting to build and grow, because it's like, they are right there. This is valid music for trumpet and it is a great space and it's great music. Mm -hmm. And let's continue to build that. And so thankfully, I think that all of that kind of stemmed at least for some people, I can't speak for every single person, but in a lot of these organizations is the same. Like you get a couple people in that don't want to be, I don't want to be the face of anything. I just want to like be behind and be constantly poking at people to make sure that the change gets done. Again, I'm the doer. Um, so like for the books that we've done for um, like the composers that I work with now and the performers that I work with now, I'm constantly just like prodding organizations and groups to say, hey, please have a conversation with me because I know these great people and I think their works for orchestra or band or chamber music, like they would bring so much value to your program, but they don't have the energy to sit and spend their time pitching. They don't have that energy. So I'm gonna just do it and, and be irritating and hope that you're willing to talk to hear me out. Yep. To then program them and pay them the money to commission and and do consortiums and things like that. Sorry, yeah. I know that was like a lot of tangents. In right. <laughs> great, great. And like I, I took that kind of stance because uh, we talked to Penn State Wind Director Study. Who's the Penn State Director of Wind Studies? Um, Bradley. Yes, we talked to her, and she was like, when she's like programming repertoire, she looks at like the grades. And then she's like, can I find anybody now that does something similar? And if I can, I'm going to do them. And so I took that same approach last semester. We did it I because there's many different ranges at the university, mm -hmm. as you know, come in at different times. And it's great. 
Love it. So we did a couple of diversify the stand. Uh, one person wanted to learn the Hindemith Sonata. I said, wait, here's Ulysses K who studied with Hindemith. And then we just like did a bunch of those kind of things. And then the for, for the entire juries for the both two days, they're like, Michael, nice repertoire selections. I said, yeah, I didn't want to hear Haydn again. I'm going to be no. very honest y'all. I did not want to hear this stuff. I wanted to hear stuff that I had to learn with them. And it was cool learning a piece with your student because they might have a different take on it. Then mm -hmm. you, you could just look at it and you're like, oh, this is how it should go. And the student's like, well, I'm practicing this and I think it should go this way. But yeah, and I'm very happy with all the work that's happening at ITG and like that y'all are doing and that we're seeing like something like Trumba. I was like, never thought I would have saw it at ITG. And it's then such a good piece. It's like the perfect recital piece. And okay. the cool thing when you get those organizations to, you know, feature solo works, add these pieces in for competition, that's how those pieces become part of this like quote unquote canon that people care so much about these mainstream works. And I don't know, I just love that like it does open all of these doors and mm -hmm. students can start to see that like I mean, not every not every teacher is like you, unfortunately, like so many are like, I have to know the piece, I have to vet the piece like there's so much music out in the world that you are not going to know. Yeah, and yeah. and like when I was planning my recital, I went to john and I gave him a stack of music and I was like, this is my recital. Period oh. like this yeah. is what it's going to be and he's like I don't know most of these works and I'm like great well you're going to learn. You can help me. And like, he could help me as a trumpet player. He could help me as a musician. It doesn't matter if you know every single note on the page, like that doesn't make a difference. And I don't know. I just love that. Like, hopefully now the like upcoming musicians and the, you know, whether you want to have music a big part of your life or not, I hope that like people realize that they can question, they can find music. Like I, the amount of people that I've talked to that are like, oh yeah, I never felt represented in music at all until I found this composer until I found this style of music. And then I felt like I could continue on because like, great, it's someone like me. And it's like, well, why, why, can't, why can't everyone question that? Why do these professors continue to just be like, oh, we gotta play the same like two pieces. Mm -hmm. right. yeah. And this is my, my biggest thing. Teachers, stop only questioning your students about when, like, when they wanna play newer music or music by diverse composers. Because if you're not also questioning them when they hand you Mozart, Bach, Beethoven, whatever, but then you question them as soon as they pull out a Kevin Day, Valerie Coleman, Carlos Simon, Hugo Ubayashi piece, and then you're like, oh, why are you wanting to play this? Stop, stop <clears throat> doing that. Unless you are actually asking them, if, unless you every single time a student brings you a piece and you go, great, I want to know your connection to this and why you're interested in this, unless that is what you're doing for every single piece, stop asking them specifically about pieces that you don't know. And in a way that's like, why are you playing this? Why mm -hmm. do you to persuade them not to play it? Stop that. Because that has happened to me so many times. And I'm sick of having to defend why me, me of all people want to play music by like not dead white men. Mm -hmm. Like, stop asking me this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop answering <laughs> what I want to do. Get on the train or hop off. I don't know. And even if it's a matter of like difficulty, like I was just talking with um, an orchestra about one of one of my friends, one of the composers that I work with. I was sharing um, one of her orchestral pieces with with this orchestra, uh, like a youth orchestra. And the conductor was like, I don't know if my brass can do this double tonguing section. Like that is the only thing that's holding me back from programming this. And I was like, great. I like text my friend and I was like, hey, could we do some sort of thing where we just like take out the double tongue and they just play the eighth notes? And she was like, yeah, great. 
even if it's difficulty wise, I'm like, oh, well, this piece is too hard for you. Okay, well, can we contact the composer and see like, okay, what about it is too tough? Can we make any adjustments? Uh, would the composer be willing to do that? Or would the composer trust me to like, you know, do some slight adjustments to this? Like, it's, it's a matter of like, keep this line of communication open. And you can't do that with historical composers that aren't living, but you can do that with living composers. It's a, a quick email to send. Right. And, that's it. and then now it's a group that like, great, you've got this great work. And for anyone that can do this double tonguing, amazing. For anyone who can't, we will still support you. And it, it, it doesn't hold you back from being able to still be involved in a cool piece. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this is like the public educator in me, but sometimes you just pick music that's a little too hard and you just are used to just simplifying stuff. Like, yeah. like, you, like, I love this composer. I love this, but this is way too hard for these kids. So we're going to change this here. Make sure, let me hear with full ensemble. Okay, great. And then yeah. like, if you want to reach out, like, of course, please reach out to the composer. I never thought about doing that. Cause like the me and I'm like, I'm like, they can't double tongue. I'm sorry. I'm like, we are, but you are going to, yeah. that's also like the brass band, which is I'm in Huntsville right now, getting ready for NABA. Brass band is all about some change in some music. They yeah. composer who <laughs> we don't care who you are. We have rebarred half the things. <laughs> Every band here has rebarred half the things. That's another thing. I was looking at the repertoire thing. I'm saying, damn, this is white. Mm -hmm. This is some no salt, no pepper white. I said, and it's the same names. I'm like, I love Peter Graham. I love Paul Lovett Cooper, whatever it's called. Like, I love these people, Philip Spark, but only them. Oh, how about next year uh, for NABA? Let's commission a test piece. Like, if you want something hard, just mm -hmm. honestly, the person who will write you a piece that you could not play, Kevin Day. Kevin Day, I knew you guys will write you all the 16, the triplets, five tuplets, eight tuplets you need. And yeah. <laughs> just leave you out there hanging. Like, if you want a piece that you could not play, Kevin Day. Kevin, that man, love yeah. that man. He oh, writes yeah. too hard music. So great three, great three with them runs, babe, babe. But even like you know stuff like that. That like yeah, you pick too hard of music. One, you think about like okay, what what is this like? What's the purpose of playing this? Okay, if it's a competition, all right, you probably gotta like learn what's on the page. For me, I get like pieces by like I have a bunch of composer friends who've sent me stuff. And I look at it, I'm like, whoo, <laughs> this is tricky. <laughs> um, but I'm not playing it for anyone right now. Yeah. So I can take it in chunks. I can break the piece apart and like, okay, I will learn this. I just don't have a deadline for you. I'm like, when I'm going to learn it by. Yeah. I will work on it, but we're going to break it all the way down to the basics so I can learn it at my level and build up from where I am. And it's like, you know, students who maybe they do have it for for me in undergrad as a music ed student, like I didn't have to do a jury, we just had to do a recital at the end of every semester. So like, okay, you know, there could have been flexibility on like maybe this piece will take you the entire year because of the difficulty. Like, is there flexibility there? And again, it just comes down to like, let's question it, let's ask, let's, you know, bring that up with people because sometimes most of the time people just hadn't thought about it before because they'd never been asked. Um, so if you can be the one to bring that up, I, from my experience, at least like, okay, you're either met with a no, which like, okay, is there a reason to that? No. Or someone saying, let me check. Let's see what can be done. And then you have that, you know, you start to build that support into like whatever it is, you know, 
I love that. Like the idea of let's question it. I think that's something that that you obviously have shown in the work that you're doing. We try to always embody that on this podcast of saying if there's something, we're going to question it. We're going to shake it. That's something I think we all do individually as well, Mm -hmm. our own paths. And that's something we try to inspire our audiences to do. Like we are all a part of this conversation. Change is slow, but change can happen if we all take a moment to actually look around and say what actually needs to to change, Mm -hmm. what actually needs to improve. Um, So I'm taking that for the rest of the year, you know, this idea of like, let's question it. And I'm going to embody that in all that I do. I challenge our, our audiences, our listeners to do the same thing. Take a moment before you act, just look around. And it's, it look, look around your schools, your work, your home, like all these things were personally, you know what I mean? Like, let's actually question it. Let's talk about it. Um, I'm, I, this was so fun. Like it's, it's been really, I've been wanting to connect with you for such a long time and this was the perfect way to do it. So truly, Ashley, thank you so much. Oh my for being gosh. Thank you. Okay. We got to do like lunch or something at Midwest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my God. Oh, wait, wait, did we? Okay, wait, time out, time out. Yeah, we got to tell you something when we hang up. Ooh, fun, fun, fun. All right, well, audience, our relative pitch people, we thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. And Ashley, please tell us how can they find you if they want to ca- call you in to come do a lecture, if they want to talk to you about becoming a nonprofit, like how can they get in touch with you? Oh my gosh, if you look up Ashley Killam, just on like the Google, the Facebook, the Instagram, uh, I try not to be super active because I don't really like social media, but I am there um, and my website's just like ashleykillum.com and I am happy to chat about anything and everything. Like I want to be a resource if you need recommendations or want to get in touch with someone or, you know, what have you. I I am always here. I'm an open book um, in everything. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you are now officially part of the Relative Pitch Village. Oh my gosh. Um, and we are, we're happy to have you. And so everyone, make sure to go check it out. Ashley's amazing. So smart. And we'll be able to all, all the things. <laughs> it sounds like all the things you can talk about. So thanks again for watching and we'll see y'all next week. See Bye. Next week. Bye.